Hi, I'm Spencer Ziegler. Hi, I'm Melissa Smith, and welcome to Data Lit, a podcast for educators by educators. So today we're bringing you another episode of Data Bytes, where we will be chatting about the different data that exists in our school system to give us and our listeners a more comprehensive feel of all the data that goes into running a school system. Today we have the pleasure of talking to Rob Sywick, who's from our Office of Geospatial Analytics. Everybody go, ooh, because I didn't even know we had one. Yeah, so Rob, great. thanks for joining us. Can you tell us briefly what do you do in Wake County? So I'm the Senior Director of Geospatial Analytics, and we are an office that formed out of uh, student assignment. Um, and we handle geospatial data that's... Um, used throughout the district, which means we tie all our data sets to a place, mm. which for that kind of work is uh, very important as far as assignment goes for students and location and uh, growth, proximity, all those factors that tie into the work we do. So when I think of geospatial data, it sounds as though a lot of the data that you use is very visual. I'm, I'm imagining maps and, I don't know, geospatial for me, I think of rocks. I don't know why, don't ask me why I think of rocks, but I think rocks. of rocks. The geo part. Maybe. Just maps to where <laughs> rocks are. Maybe that's where it is. Many <laughs> map treasure maps. <laughs> but I'm thinking of a lot of maps and knowing where people are and assigning people so that we, for a district this big, we're having like maximum capacity. So we're allocating all of our resources, not just our students, our teachers, everything, and making sure that we maximize the size that we have, I guess, when Mm -hmm. I think of that. Is that kind of what geospatial data? Yes. So we call it geospatial data. It's called spatial data sometimes too. We added the geo to it and, and a lot of folks in our industry do because you could look at maybe a CAD drawing or an architectural drawing, which is spatial, but it's not referenced on Earth. So our data has a reference point and the size of our county, which is about 850 square miles, right. a huge uh, area with you know around 160 to 170,000 students. We have a need to to measure all these things geographically, all the all the data we have, sites, student locations, routes, buses, bus stops. Right. Along with a lot of the information we get from other agencies out there, uh, municipalities, um, the county data sets, census data, it can all be laid together in layers so we can study what's happening in our district. So our first question we typically ask on this episode is, what does data literacy mean to you? So data literacy to me, I look at a data set and I, I wonder, and I first think, what, where is it coming from? Say a student test score even. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's from a student. That student lived somewhere. That student took the test somewhere. So when I see data, I... I tie it to a place. And I think most data, even though it's not spatial per se, can be tied to a Hmm. a spatial location. So you can look and and study, you know, analyze what's going on between place and and the phenomenon you're trying to figure out. 
That's so interesting because when we think of data, so you started off with student achievement, right? Yeah. And we always try to uh, figure out like a context. Yeah. You're looking at a lot of the contextual data that supports like a number. So there is a score that somebody got, but like you said, that score represents a, a student who's sitting in a class, who's sitting in a school, who's yeah. sitting in a town. You know, it's just, I have not thought of data in that way. And so much, I think, in education, the data we're working with is abstract. You're trying to f- measure what's inside someone's head. Yeah. And your data is, well, literally grounding it, you yeah, know, in yeah, something yeah. that makes it a little bit easier to wrap your head around, I think. Yeah. And so what is some of that data that you interact with then? Our data set that is the most important to our work is an address point inventory. Mm. So if you imagine, you know, a map of Google Maps and there's a dot on the map for every address, Mm -hmm. residential, business, any type of facility throughout the whole county. And what we do there is it's called geocoding. We'll take an address text based and find the place in the county where it where that is an xyz right and um, with that we can basically we have a residential address for every student first the student can enroll without an address in wake county right. so that's validation there and with that address inventory we have a very very granular level of data that you know you, you can't even get at the census from the census so working here is great to get that kind of yeah uh, level of every student's location to see, you know, other factors geographically that could be impacting all sorts of things. But you mentioned also that, you know, you not only look at students' addresses, but you look at business addresses. So why would it be important to know, like, business address or a government address? Like, why are, why is it not just student addresses that you look at? Mm. One of the reasons is to make sure no one's saying they're somewhere in the county oh, and they're okay. not. Okay. <laughs> um, that, uh, and another reason is to have, have the history of, of an address may change rezoning. So lots of things can happen. We've had an address inventory now for about, since about 1997 when they started in GIS. Wow. Before that, it was a, a list somewhere. Oh, interesting. Yeah, and that's, I know we were have, talking at a department meeting last year about how it, education is a little bit unique in terms of um, data analysis because we know where all the stakeholders are. Right. And like, so we know exactly like what percent of kids or teachers did something where they were all those other things where like it's, you know, um, November's coming up when this airs and anytime you do polling, you really have no clue like what percent voted where they were, all those kind of things. It's really tough to do. But in education, when you know every single kid is here and you can map it, you know, that, that seems like it allows for some um, advantages when we're looking at data. Yeah. And also too, I think it's interesting, you know, to think of like location. So where everything is, that's a piece of data that we have not really looked at. Mm-hmm. We're most of the time, we're very, very focused on test scores, graduation yeah. rates, but where people are, where, how would we build new schools? Like we need that information mm-hmm. to figure out where should a new school go? Like, or where, 
we just had this come up in the news, like where should students, where families be funneled to, to fund a new school? Like, you mm-hmm. know, are some schools overcrowded and undercrowded? Like, I never really think of that kind of information until it comes up in the news, I'll be honest. But, yeah. you know, kind of keeping everything balanced, I think, is probably really important for the folks on your team to kind of make sure that we're not like one school doesn't suffer and then there's another school that's sitting on and they're under enrolled I guess so it's kind of making sure that there's balance all across a district as you said as big as this so that's probably very important to your team yeah not just balance uh well balance for a number of reasons and and then capacity um Mm -hmm. of the school and uh, so with that student address geocode that that we have that going back you know so many years and we can u- that's used in forecasting along with municipal data and development coming up so we can project right growth in areas and where we need to kind of shift and mm. look at assignment areas um based on what's coming and what's happened in the past uh but and, and that's very important for this area because we're not we haven't stopped yeah. And I like, I just like the idea of kind of geotagging data to try to f- problem solve. Like uh, even at the school level, you can imagine if uh, thinking about I don't know, where certain problem behavior is occurring in a class and you might be able to kind of figure out some things by tagging data to a particular spot, you know, yeah. during transitions at a particular bottleneck or something we're seeing more. And then by looking at data with the, the, the location included, it might allow you to think about processes differently. So it's, I mean, it might not have the fancy map that y'all put together, um, but still allows for educators to think differently. And I'm sure that the, when they're doing their data, they are looking at more patterns and trends, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I, I recognize that the, the data that they deal with is very visual and so to yeah. kind of see movement you know historical movement of, of of what has been happening i think is really important in the district as well that kind of work yeah so what's something about the data that y'all work with that our listeners might find interesting one project that we worked on with dra and testing data is an example this is um how we take that student residence information, residential location, and tie it back to a test score and a student, not where they took the test or what school they were at, but where they live. And we worked with the Intervention and Advanced Learning Services team for the Academically and Intellectually Gifted program to develop a local norm to, to address the disproportionality of underrepresented students. Oh, okay. So rather than have the entire district on the state norm, we use that geocode data for every third grader. We have a group of tests they all take at third yeah, grade, yeah. which gives us a great sample. It's everyone across the county. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we run some statistics, spatial statistics there to, to find clusters of high performing students and yeah. low performing students. Uh-huh. And with that information, we, we used about a mile distance for each student, all the students within a mile of that student, their peers, another third grader who would have taken the test. We, we find these clusters of low scoring areas with 
high score outliers. Mm-hmm. And those students may not make that state norm percentile for AIG identification, but amongst their peer group locally, they are, you know, well above. Right, right, right. So that kind of helps the AIG team identify more students for nomination that have normally been overlooked. Yeah. Oh, wow. I love that. Find potential using that geolocation. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, you know, in the past we would have then had to rely on a school or on a parent trying to advocate, but I never thought of being able to use that sort of forecasting and, and mapping to, to make sure that we are extending uh, opportunities to Mm -hmm. more students using something other than just, well, you are using test scores, but adding another layer onto that right? to see how we can broaden opportunities for, for more kids. That is really interesting. Yeah, thank you. Uh, so what data do you not currently have, but you wish you did? So that's a, that's a good <laughs> question. I, there's so much data here from every office, every, every area. And of course... It can be tied to one of our sites or mm-hmm. right. um, a bus or a route. We know it's there. We just haven't brought it into our system to give mm-hmm. it a, a, that location aspect yet. Uh, th- and that's a challenge, but, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll get there. But one of the data sets I, I really would love to get would be what ha- student information after school, like, Oh, what happens to kids after when they leave? Yeah, so Ah. camps, local organizations where they track out camp and summer camps to, you know, see how we could collaborate with the community or the the towns to let them know there's kids that are tracking out and what programming they might want to offer to those students and then work with them, you know, for different year-round schools tracking out and, and different times of year. I think that would be a great set of data to have to kind of help the community. With something like that, how do, you, how do you factor in data privacy with your work? Oh, man. It's very strict. Most folks haven't seen our data or had access to it because of, you know, the, the federal laws and once you have an address, a student point, right there, it's no matter what it's attached to it, even if it's a student ID, you have a, a location where a student lives. So mm-hmm. right from there, it becomes private. And right. yeah, so, you know, we can share within the district, but outside we, we sort of, what we use is our census block groups, geographies to, to aggregate the data to a level that folks can have totals or counts or percentages within the county and that's also aligned with other initiatives and another data from census census variables census information that we can work with we can work with the the communities rather than you know solving things where there are other things going on that schools can't fix but we can share information with them so you know, one one is, example was um, free and reduced lunch data, which is mm-hmm. very private. Yeah. We were able to to give 
accounts at the block group level to share with the county, and they discovered some areas where they should have put food pantries and did so. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, so zooming out to the layer where it's no longer identifiable, but yeah. still actionable. Yeah. Yeah. Rob, thank you so much for enlightening us, helping us understand locations and spatial data. To our listeners, thank you for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or further notes, don't forget that you can always reach us at www.wcpss.net forward slash datalit. Thank you to Roseville Middle School's Jamal Wellman for the theme music. And until next time, bye. Take care.